0: Betty, welcome to the Recovering Entrepreneurs Show. We have a two for today. I am Bobby the Awesome, and today I am with Miss Allison Hong Merrill. Welcome to the shows. Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. Such a great honor to be here. Well, thank you. I think I'm the one who should be honored. You have a very interesting, inspiring story. And I'm sorry that you had to go through the story, but I'm really impressed by your solution. So uh, why don't you kick us off wherever you would like to start? Okay, thank you. Thank you for
1: the opportunity to share my story. So I am an immigrant. I was born and raised in Taiwan in Chinese culture. And in Chinese culture, women and girls um, have always been conditioned to wait for men's permission to speak or to act and so that's the way I grew up I always had to be very quiet and wait for my dad to give me the okay to do whatever and another example is say if we had house guests come to our house uh, my father would send me and my sisters upstairs to the second floor where we had to do homework even though we had no homework to do we had to go upstairs to do homework. When my father would stay with the guests in the living room uh, uh, downstairs and chat and, you know, and have snacks and visit. And sometimes he would do that when our friends came over to our house and he would not, that is, that's just an example of how the system worked is that men would give girls and women permission or not give them permission. do things and and now i think back i'm like why would that be okay why was that okay you know and so in the process in my growth during my um childhood i had questions and i had questions because i was curious and i would take my question to my dad and ask him for example i asked him dad there's so many cars on the street where is everybody going like a very simple question like that right But then he will get so upset, he's like, did I tell you it's time for you to ask me questions? Is it time for you to talk, you know? And so needless to say, I was always frustrated and sometimes angry at how, because I'm a girl, I'm not allowed to to ask questions and I'm not allowed to receive answers. And I had to sort of just figure things out on my own. You know, so that's sort of the background of how I had to learn to suppress my curiosity, you know, and not to be disobedient and not to anger my father because he was the the patriarch of the family. And
0: Was, was your mother
1: there? Yes. So my father and my mother, their marriage was it wasn't ideal. They fought all the time and. As a child, I didn't know why they were always fighting, because they were just always fighting. They wouldn't explain to us, little kids, why they were fighting. They were too busy fighting. And the kind of fights that they had, uh, they were physical fights, you know. And so my mother wasn't big or strong. She was just a woman. And my father would hit her, and she couldn't hit him back, so she would throw furniture at him you know, to, to defend herself or to get back to him. And so every time they fought, which was all the time, our house will be turned into a battlefield, literally. And then my mother will always be the one after the fight to leave the house. She would leave. And now I think back, I remember she had a, a suitcase that was packed. She was always ready to leave my father because he would beat her so badly that she will get hurt and she would just go back to her parents house to my grandparents house you know and then she will be gone for days or weeks not come back and so with that pattern my mother was always gone and then back gone and back there wasn't really a mother figure in my life per se because when she and my father had a fight and she left My sisters and I, we were just left to fend for ourselves, even though my dad would not beat us the way that he beat my mother. But the way that he treated women and girls, you know, it was just that he he thought it was okay. He thought that was normal. He thought that was what a Chinese man could do. And so.
0: How come your mother didn't take you? Would she have gotten in more trouble with him if she took you? Was that against the rules, too?
1: You know, I I I had that question when I was a child. I thought, why would she just leave? Because I remember I was very little. I was too short to look out the bedroom window to see where she was going. I had to tiptoe and I had to hold on to the windowsill and, you know, sort of prop myself high enough to see my mother leaving without me and without my sisters. And I always wonder why she would do that. Why wouldn't she take us, you know? And now I think my conclusion, I had to answer my own questions. Like I had learned to find answers on my own. I feel like, first of all, my mother wasn't a very nurturing person. It was just her. She wasn't a nurturing mother. In fact, she... She, she and my father have fights. Sometimes she will get so angry that she will turn around and yell at me and my sister and, and she will tell us that it was our fault that she was in this horrible marriage that she couldn't leave because she had kids with my dad, you know, and so. And then she would say things like, well, I wish I had choked you to death. I wish I had suffocated you to death when you were a little baby. So I wouldn't have to be right here, right now, living with this man, you know? And so in my mind, and my mother passed away um, when I was 24, 24 years old. And so that had been a long time. And I never really had a chance to ask her why she would, say hurtful things like that to to us to me and my sisters when we were little and she would say things that it's all your fault And, and that's not really that's not a good thing to say to your kids even if that's how you feel you just don't it's very very hurtful and so I feel well I was responsible for my mother's misery but how you know how do I end this I don't know I don't even know how I got her into this you know and so she wasn't really nurturing. She wasn't kind. And I've now I have compassion on her because I'm a mother now myself. And I can see how if a woman like my mother were in a very, very bad marriage and she felt trapped and she couldn't leave and the culture and the society continue to condition her to suppress her desires, to suppress her wish to be happy, then obviously, or naturally, it would just make you go, I don't know, you just, your mind will not be in the
0: right place. You bring up, I'm sorry, you bring up a really good point about why I thought this was important to share you with my uh, audience that follows for addiction, right? For three, two, one. Because all the stuff you're talking about, the suppression, um, you know, denial, maybe like the trying to escape all of that is what people in addiction do. They, they use the gambling or the drinking or the drugs. Um, and it's, it's horrifying to hear you say that mom's release or escape was to take it out on you guys. Like I, that just really hurts my heart. Um, But I just wanted to call that out for my audience because it's such a big piece. And then how you're sitting here in front of us as this beautiful woman who has so much to share with the world and, and you're not in the throes of all the bad things that could have happened. So I'm excited to hear more about the steps that got you to a nice, healthy place to cope um, as well. So I, I just had to interrupt to call that out. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Bobby. You're so kind. Well, this is, this is tough stuff. Like it's, eh. hopefully this doesn't cross politics, but as a, as you were talking, what popped into my head was here in the States, we're fighting for female rights. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the whole thing with Roe v. Wade and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking we're fighting about that, but we don't even know how good we have it. Like listening to you already, um. Like that's stuff we take for granted. Like I have a jerk biological father, um, but I never felt those things that you're talking about just because of my gender. Like that just blows my mind away. So I appreciate you being so candid about that.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Bobby. And I, I feel like. It really is a tragedy how a culture would make it so difficult for one specific gender and that specific gender's life so difficult. Like, I just don't understand. I still don't understand how, who make that choice? Who decides that women and girls should should be sub-gender or the lesser gender and to their their jobs or their calling in life is to please males, to please men and to always do everything they can to make men happy, but but what do men do in return to to thank women, to thank girls for making their lives so wonderful? You know, I just don't know why there's, there's no, no equality in the equation, you know, because what do men have that women don't have? What can men do that women cannot do? I just, you know, and that's again another question that I will continue to have to search for the answer because I don't know. I don't know why I feel like it's man-made. I don't, I, I believe there's a God and God will not be like that and say, well, I only love men. I will only bless men. I don't think any God will be like that. So I, I think it's man-made culture, you know, but who was the the first man? Who was the first person to say, Hey, that's make men better that's treat men better you know like i just don't know and how do you go and find that kind of answer and and really how would that help me feel better (laughs) right i just know that if we cannot have the answer then let's get rid of that that phenomenon so we don't have to worry about it let's start creating a new reality where men and women are equal and we're treated the same You know, and then we we will not have children growing up asking the same question. Why is it that I was born a girl and so my life is forever going to be miserable? That's what I thought when I was growing up. I think, well, because I'm a girl, I don't deserve to be happy. But my boy cousins, they can be happy. They can go to the general store with grandma and grandma will buy them candy. But I can't go because I'm a girl. And, you know, and that's another thing how Generational abuse starts is they use that excuse of because you're a girl, you can't go and get candy with the boy cousins, you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And I think you brought up a really good point because as you're talking, I'm like thinking about, I don't know a ton about um, Chinese culture. I I really don't. I did spend time with someone recently who taught me a little about Fallen Dafa which is the only religious, any understanding I have at all. And I don't think that that's across all Chinese folks. I think mm. it's it's integrated. Anyway, um, I learned a little about that, but uh, my brain kept going, okay, it must be history. It must have something to do, like history or religion were the two things that kept popping in my head. But what was more important than what was going on in my head was you saying, doesn't matter where it comes from. We don't need to know the answer. We need to fix it and we need to make it better for the girls today. Right, exactly right. So if it's if if it's um a Chinese or a, is it Taiwanese? Is that how I would say it? Taiwanese. Yeah. If they were here in the states, does the culture come in geographically to the states? Does that happen? You know, that's such a wonderful question. I wonder about that myself
1: because I'm an immigrant. So I moved from Taiwan to the U.S. back in 1995. And then about six years later, my sister moved to uh, the U.S. as well. So she is now here. But my life as an immigrant in America is so different than my sister's immigrant immigration um, experience because when my sister moved to America, she moved the entire island of Taiwan with her, meaning she brought the food, she brought the music, she brought literature, she brought her habit, she brought her friends, Um, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like she brought her entire life that she had established in Taiwan for the first 20 years of her life, she brought all of it with her to America. So when she is in America, like right now, she eats Chinese food and she hangs out with uh, Chinese friends and she speaks Chinese with her children. And she even opens her own business. She owns a food truck that sells Chinese food, Japanese food. So she is, completely still Chinese and so it's like a fruit salad when you're making fruit salad you have a big bowl and then you have all different kinds of fruits that you mix in the bowl but after you mix the fruits in the bowl stay the same they don't melt into a big pot of Goo, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not a melting pot. But some immigrants who move here, like myself, I move here and I I marry an American man and I speak English. I learned, I try to speak English and I read English books and I have American friends. And so that is where it really shocks me. I don't know. I wouldn't know if I don't get together with my sister, like if I go and do lunch with my sister, when we sit together and we visit, we speak Chinese with each other. That's when I know, oh my gosh, I have to be thinking like, how do you say, how do you say traffic in Chinese? You know, because I don't use that language when I'm home with my husband and our children. And when I come, communicate with my children's teachers and our neighbors. I do all of that in English. So I don't speak Chinese very often anymore. And so when I go back to visit with my sister, that's when I figure, that's when I find out, oh, I have forgotten so many words. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will speak Chinglish (laughs) like in a a sentence I'll be speaking some words and then I switch to English and I switch back and switch back and forth and sometimes I'll be like help me help me help me I don't know what I'm trying to say and so I have like my English is still not all the way there fluent or like a native level but my Chinese had gone (laughs) digressed so much that I need help so I'm like trapped in the middle of. I don't know which language I speak better, but just, you know, just try to understand.
0: Well, kudos for being bilingual. Like I always wish I did that. So, I mean, you're, you're making others. It sounds like you're putting others at ease, right? Your family, with the English, you're not forcing them to speak Chinese. You're not forcing your sister to speak English. So that's pretty interesting. That says something about your your character and trying to help others too. So it's it's not if you remember every vocabulary word, whether it's English or Chinese. Um, and Chinese is very difficult with all the characters and and pronunciation. So um, I don't know how you guys learn it in the first place. From from an outsider looking at <laughs> memorize,
1: memorize. Yeah. did a lot of memorization, I guess.
0: <laughs> so you have your book up there, um, yeah. which you wrote in English as well, right? Yes. Do you want to give us kind of, so you immigrated here, immigrated here. The husband that you're married to is not your first husband. No, he's not. Do you want to take us on that journey a little bit and and give some insight about what motivated you to write the book? We, we know the big why women should be treated equal, right? If I'm understanding that correctly. So what other factors like Got you so inspired that you had to write a book. You had to share your story. Tell us a little about that.
1: Okay. So my husband, my current husband, he's my second husband. My first husband is also an American man. And I met him when I was uh, 19 years old, a college student in Taiwan. And I went to college and I met this American young man. He was 20 years old and he was a missionary for the Mormon church. And well, he wasn't alone because you, if if you um, have seen Mormon missionaries, they're always like a pair, like two, two missionaries okay. working together. They travel together. It's always a pair of them. And so when I was in Taiwan, when I was 15 years old, I also converted to the Mormon church. But I was a teenager and I was busy working, you know, studying very hard to try to get into college. And so I wasn't like a 100% devout member of the church. You know, I just attended uh, church meetings and then sometimes went on service projects with the young women organization. And, you know, I thought, oh, this helped me find peace and anchor me spiritually in a very tumultuous family environment, right? And so religion brought me that that solace, that, that peace I wanted as a teenager at the time. And then I went to college and I met this young man and I call him Cameron. In the book, I call him Cameron. So I met Cameron when he was serving his mission in Taiwan. And then the missionaries for the church they only served for 2 years right and so after his mission after his service he went home and he he was from texas so he went back to texas i was still in taiwan and then i decided to when i turned 21 so 2 years later when i turned 21 i decided to drop out of college to serve a mission too to be a full time missionary and my dad was so angry because remember he was the patriarch of the family, and he also had this uh, drinking problem. my My father was addicted to drinking. Mm. It was alcoholic. and so he had a lot of drinking buddies, his friends that they they would get together after work and they would just drink all night and they would you know just pass out anyway. My father really enjoyed taking me to his drinking parties to show me off to his buddies because in Taiwan back in the 1980s, 1990s, it was very, very difficult to get into college. You had to be the top 20 percent in the nation. Right. You had to pass this entrance exam and you had to be the top 20 percent in the entire nation to go to college. And so it was very, very hard to get into college. So when I went to college, my dad was really proud, even though he never said he was proud. But the way he showed his pride was to take me to to his drinking parties. And I would just sit there doing nothing, just watch him drink with his buddies. And he would be, oh, my dog, he will call me his dog because I'm not a human. okay? So yeah. he will refer to me as his dog. He'll be like, my dog, and think I'm a girl too. So what do you call a female dog? I'm a bitch, okay? Yeah. So that's a very kind way to say I'm a dog, but he he called me a bitch. Oh, this bitch, my bitch is in college. Can you guys believe I have a bitch going to college? Like, you know, and everybody would just worship him for having raised a, a daughter. A daughter A daughter is a very kind way to describe me. I'm just a female dog um, to go to college. So everybody thought my dad was like the greatest dad in the world because the rest of the drinking party, nobody had a child who went to college, right? And so when I was 21, I decided to drop out of school to serve a mission. He was like destroyed. He was like- Good. I kind of am happy about that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what did you say you want to do? And I said, yeah, I already did. I already dropped out of school. I'm going to go serve a mission. And he's like, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? Now, how how am I going to talk to my buddies? How am I going to tell them what you did? You're such an idiot. You're going to make me lose face. And and people are going to think I'm an idiot, too, because you're an idiot. And, and so he was so upset that he kicked me out of his house, right? And he shut, he like, shut the door in my face and said, don't ever come back. Go and serve your white God. Go and, you know, you're just an idiot. And so that was Chinese New Year's Eve,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? And so nobody was on the street because everybody went home to be with their families. And they were having all these family reunion dinner that's what's called in Chinese is they're sitting together with their families having this reunion dinner and nobody was on the street so he kicked me out of the street to to the street and and told me to never go home and so now I'm like okay what do I do it was raining outside it was really cold right Chinese New Year February it yeah. was like winter and so this is back in the 1990s and there were still payphones. So I walk up and down the street, looking for forgotten change in payphone, the, the change slots. So I have to go and look for all these slots, looking for change to hopefully get enough money to, I don't know, go on the next, you know, what was my next move was going to be. But in that moment I've decided, you know what, I'm gonna stop that men tell me what to do. If I want to serve a mission, how is that a bad thing? How am I being treated so badly because I want to do a good thing, you know? And so that was the moment when I decided I'm going to give myself permission to do what I think is right, to do what I think is good for me, right? And so I went on to serve a mission with the help of the bishop in the church and the help of church members. And after my mission, I could not go back to school because I dropped out and I could not go home because my dad kicked me out of the house. And so remember Cameron, this missionary, I met two years, you know, three years earlier when I was still in college. We stay in touch through snail mail. This is fucking <laughs> early 90s, there was no email. And so we wrote to each other and he knew the situation, my situation. So he, when I finished my mission, he flew to Taiwan from Texas to visit me. But really he he went to Taiwan with an engagement ring and he proposed to me. And so we became engaged and he brought me over to America. So I came to America and I, I had um, applied to transfer from the college in Taiwan to the same university in Texas where he was attending at the time and I got in. And so we we went to the same school, but uh, 16 months into our marriage, Cameron and I, we got married, 16 months into our marriage, one night I went home to our apartment in Texas, right? And I went home and I was shocked to discover that he had moved out he moved everything out there was no furniture left in that in the apartment and there was no like he cut off all the utilities so when I turned on the light switch the lights did not come on and so I had to feel my way into the apartment and there was nothing left in the apartment right so I, I panicked I'm like what's going on so then I discovered the next day I received the divorce papers. Right. And so the thing is, when he moved out, he also went to the bank and took all the money away with him. So so I had no money and I had no family and I had no friends and I couldn't really speak English at the time. My English was like a three year old level, but I could write. I could read and write. I just could not speak. I couldn't really verbally communicate with people. And So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm homeless again, because, you know, years ago, years earlier, when my dad kicked me out of the house, I was on the street. I was homeless that one time. And then now in Texas, I was homeless again. And I thought this like people say that lightning will not strike twice. it's not true it's like struck me twice and so I'm like what do I do what do I do and then I was back in that same moment where I thought okay I have options I have choices I can make choices even though I have no money I have no family and I have nothing really I have nothing but I have choices so I decided to really 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 be seriously thinking about what would help me to get to where I want to be? Because I did not want to be in that place where I was helpless and hopeless. I didn't want to be there. And in order for me to go to a better place, I had to make better choices. So I thought, okay, I'll make one right choice at a time. And the first choice I'm going to make is to take care of myself. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to go ask for help. So I went to the um, apartment, problematic- we
0: got to pause. Everything you just said was so much gold, but you're going fast. So, I, I just have to. You just said we can have nothing <clears throat> and still have control of our own choices, exactly. Yeah, and then I think I heard you say you were going to make the choices, and the first one was to take care of yourself, yes. Okay, I just I needed to repeat that because because that was not a point we want to blow over. That's for every every entrepreneur, every person involved in addiction, every person as a person, as a human being, needs to understand what you just said. Exactly. Okay, here's the thing: like people
1: can take away things from you, like Cameron did. He took away money. He took away furniture. He took away the blankets and it was in the middle of the, you know, it was a week before Thanksgiving and it was cold. He took away the physical comfort from me. Right. And he took away my marriage, but it was gone. And he took, he could, he could take away more things if he could, but, He could not take away my agency. I will always have my agency. I will always be able to choose for myself. Here's the thing. I can choose to be happy because happiness is a choice. It's an attitude and you can choose the kind of attitude you want to have. And you can ask yourself, how do I want to feel today? What kind of day do I want to have today? And then you just work on that because the choice is yours once you make that choice you make that choice once and then it's done and the next thing you do is you put in actual actions to help you get to where you want to be do you want to have a happy day today if you choose yes i want to have a happy day today then you will not do things that will make you unhappy Mm. It's, it's that simple right if you know certain things if you do certain things that will make you unhappy then don't do them because you have chosen to have a happy day right I think it
0: sounds so obvious and so simple and 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 I think you're right I think it is that simple I just think that we forget we forget that we have that power exactly I've noticed um you know there's been times where I want to cry or I want to be miserable and I want to sit in it and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you being miserable about this? Change your attitude. But it takes a like for me, it took a lot of practice to even be aware that I could change. So the fact that you're having all these aha moments and and are sharing the fact that you figured out that it's just making a choice. You're like, you make a choice and it's done. I love that.
1: Oh, Bobby, but I agree with you. Yes, it's a choice. And then after you make the choice you have to put in actions, right? Like you have to actually put in the work to get you to what you have chosen. But I agree with you, sometimes you do need to choose to be patient with yourself. If you feel like, well, I just, I feel like I just wanna cry because I'm sad. and, And that's an emotion that you cannot, because feelings will come to you. You feel certain ways and you can't get rid of the feelings right? But you can change your thoughts. Yeah. You can change to think about other things, but feelings are there and you feel every single emotion and that's okay. And you can choose to be patient with yourself and say, you know what, today I am going to take today off. From working so hard to achieve to go somewhere 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 that's too much. But today I want to simplify my day and I want to just slow down and be and just cry. Can I just cry? Yeah, you can give yourself permission to cry if that makes you feel better. You you should definitely do it. And so I learned to give myself a signed permission slip, Mm -hmm. and this is not new. I know a lot of people. You know, they will say, "Well, I have learned to give myself permission to do whatever I feel is right. I feel is necessary. And I get that because I agree that is what works for me. And so I take one step further to sign a permission slip with my own name. So I give myself permission and I can see it because I'm a a visual learner. And when I see it, it will remind me deeply what I had commit myself to do. And so say, if I feel like today I need to go to my backyard and touch soil, I want to just stick in the dirt and pull weeds in my backyard because touching dirt makes me happy. Then I'm going to give myself Or to pull out that sign permission slip from myself to say, Allison, you have my full permission to not sit at the desk today, but instead go to the backyard and pull weeds in your backyard and touch dirt and feel better. Be in nature if that makes you happy. And, you know, I do that and I have no guilt of not working that day because I needed that day off. And so that's what I mean by saying, I've chosen to take care of myself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, sometimes financially and socially. Just do what works for you and do do those things that work for you that will help you in the long run because you have taken care of your emotional health that you're not forcing you, yourself every day to do the things that you know will help propel you forward, but you keep feeling that pressure, you keep feeling that stress and you're not happy and you don't know how much longer you can keep going. That's not healthy. So when you need to take a step back and rest and recharge and you know regenerate, do that. Give yourself that permission. Sign a permission slip to yourself. How often do you use it? I use it every day. I love it. <laughs> I should say almost every day. I have it on my desk and I'll look at it and I'll be like, okay, today I'm going to give myself permission to take a whole hour off. It doesn't matter what, what time during the day, I'm going to have one hour off where I just sit there. Right. And I can just stare out of the window because I don't know why it's relaxing to me. And I just look out the window and there I live on a busy street. And so when I look out the window, I see cars going, you know, up and down the hill. And and then I feel like I'm trans transfer back to my childhood when I was a little girl and we had no toys and no books and no entertainment at home. And I squatted by our front door and look out at all these cars going up and down the street. And I wonder where everybody was going. Remember that question I had and I asked yeah. my dad and never got the answer. And now when I give myself that permission to take one hour from the day, from a work day to look out the window. And I just wonder where everybody's going. What is that story inside every car? Because you know, everybody has a story mm-hmm. and they the story travel with them, right? And so I just like keep wondering and keep wondering, and I don't know. That makes me happy. <laughs> is that weird?
0: <laughs> no, I I think I, it. I thought it was more weird that you'd give yourself permission to go pull weeds because I'm not about weeding, and just in case I run into snakes. But um, mm-hmm. I think I think the point is it's whatever works for ourselves, right? And yes. yes. what puts us at peace or. Um, enjoyment or gets our imagination going or gets us connected to nature. So I think the baseline is the same. We need yeah. to be connected to nature. We need to um, not just be in that reality of sitting at the desk, typing or or dealing with people. So I think those are very healthy things to give yourself permission for.
1: Yes, Bobby. And so this also, this concept is new because I did not grow up Knowing, oh, I can give myself permission because I've always was always reminded that you had to wait for dad to tell you, okay, you can you can speak now. Okay, you can go downstairs to visit what the house gets now. You know, I was I wasn't brought up thinking, well, I can just give myself permission to do whatever I want and whatever works for me, because dad doesn't know what works for me. I know what works for me, right? But because dad didn't say I could do it, I couldn't do it, want, that kind of thing. But I learned as an adult to start to feel, uh, to not feel guilt when I give myself permission to, to do whatever I feel like will help me to accomplish what goal I have set for myself. And one thing I did, and I, I write about this in my book, 99 Fire Hoops, is that I broke the cultural expectation and the, society, uh, the societal expectation of women always have to be quiet, like just wait very silently for men to give them permissions, right? So after my divorce, from Cameron, I moved to Utah and I met this young man um, who is my current husband. I broke the social and cultural expectation of asking him out first, because Ooh. I saw him and I knew I could feel, you know how we, you you fall in love, right? you fall in love with the person and the feelings in that the emotions happening inside of you. Yes. You you know what's going on. Right. And when I saw my husband at the time, it was just this young man and I didn't know his name. And I, you know, (laughs) I was, I was burning. There was a furnace, furnace inside of me that got turned on. And so I was like, Oh, my gosh, how am I going to stop this fire? You know, there's a blaze, there's a flame inside of me. And I just really, really desire to be close to him, to get to know him. You know, I can't explain why. I guess that's just love or lust. I don't know. And so, (laughs) (laughs) but my culture had been conditioned in me. Oh, I had to wait for him to come and pursue me. If he never approached me, then it's over there's no hope right mm. that was my old conditioning from my culture and then I thought well I, but I'm not in Taiwan anymore <laughs> right and I don't have to live that culture I don't have to I don't have to I don't have that I I want I know what I want and I want it now and so I thought What hurt? What kind of harm is it going to be if I approach this man and ask him for his name and ask him to go out with me? What kind of harm would it be? Nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, if I don't ask, the answer is always no. And I don't want the answer to be no. I want all the answers between him and me to be yes. I want a lot of yeses between him and me. So I went to him and I asked him to go out with me to see Titanic. And this was back in 1997, uh, 98, 98, right? January of 1998. At the time, the movie Titanic was like, if you haven't heard of it, <laughs> do you live in a cave? You know, that was like the most popular movie that year. And so I asked him if you would like to go see that movie with him, uh, with me. And he was like, oh, of course. So we went on our first date because I asked him. And now I think that I feel like if that if I hadn't had done that, there would have been no marriage between us. I would just continue to be miserable because I would desire him so badly, but could not have him.
0: You did another fabulous job. So there's, there's what you say. And then there's this whole other like meaning or association when you're talking about escaping Taiwanese culture, that can be applied to the belief systems we have from our parents, whether it's about the women Um, not having a voice or a place, or it could be how we handle money. It can be how we should be dressed. There's all these things, all these beliefs that get put on us. Um, I was listening to a speaker earlier today and he was talking about like when two-year-olds are running around, you know, they get told, you know, sit down, be quiet, blah, 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 blah. And they lose that, that freedom to, To express themselves, to go ask the guy on the date, to go, you know, follow their hearts and their intuition. So you taking that power back shows that everybody has beliefs and things in their lives, but everybody has the opportunity to choose differently, to um, step out there and, and be rewarded greatly. But you also said, and I love this if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. Right. Yeah. Bobby.
1: And there's another side of the story is what if, so say back in 1998, when I approached this young man, I was so like, I had this biggest crush on him and I approached him and I asked him to go out with me right on a date what if he would what if he was already married right (laughs) what if he was unavailable what if he was not interested and he said no what if he says no i'm sorry i'm married or oh no i'm sorry i'm engaged or oh i'm sorry i'm not interested in you what if i got no from this man right because i i was so brave and i had to overcome this you know because it takes courage to go in and ask a guy out of, um, on a date. And if the answer is no, okay, if the answer is no, it's not because I never tried, right? Okay. I had to live with it. I had to live with the fact and the reality that I tried, but it didn't work out. So then I have to learn to say say to myself, hey, it's okay, it's okay, you tried, good job.
0: Yeah. didn't
1: work out then move on you know that road is a dead end then you go and find another road create another path you know go and explore something else or find another guy but but my point is you have done what you could do Mm -hmm. and you have done the best you could do and that's the best you can do give yourself credit for trying you know don't don't just get like, oh, I'm a loser. I got a no from this guy. And no, oh, yeah. you're a winner. You totally are a winner because you give yourself permission to pursue what you think that you know will work for you. And but if it doesn't work, it's okay because sometimes, and, and this is life, because we have agency, other people have agency too, and they can choose to say no. And so there's nothing we can do but really celebrate yourself because you
0: take that very courageous step and that's something you should celebrate. Thank you, Allison. That's another great point. Celebrate even when we get the no, celebrate trying. The, the, The success and the victory is in trying instead of not trying at all. Exactly. So is this the kind of stuff that you talk about in your book? Yes. Yes. These are some of the themes from the book. Love it. Love it. So why, so it sounds like you started dating your husband a while ago and now here's the book. How long has the book been out? So the book came out last year in September and it's, you know, almost uh, 10 months now. Okay. So it's been a a decade or two, right? Since all this trauma with the family and with Cameron and all the things. So, So why then? Why now? Why was it important to write the book? Thank you so much for asking. So
1: my husband and I, we have three sons together. And so our children are obviously half Chinese and half American. But we have always lived in Utah where, you know, we move around. But all the different houses we live in, all the neighborhoods that we have lived in, I had always been the only person of color, the mm. only immigrant. And when my kids were little, and my kids, they were all, I have three, all of them were born within a year. So they were like one year apart, back to back. And people would like jokingly or lovingly nicknamed, nickname my kids Irish triplets, right? And this is like I I, I didn't know what that meant, but they later on I I learned what it means. But anyway, that's how close they, they are, my three kids. So when they were little, they were little together and they have friends. It was like, okay, you have my oldest one was four years old and his four-year-old friends were also my two-year-old's friends. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they yeah. share friends together because they were so close together. And so when they went out to play with neighbors, uh, the, the neighborhood kids, they were out together. Like they will be gone together. And then when they came back, they just came back. And with all the reports or, you know, they would tell me, mom, 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 guess what? We went to our friends, Dave's house and Dave, you know, we did this and this and this. And one day they came back and they said, mom, guess what? I'm like, Okay, what, 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 tell me. And they said, Dave's mom is so awesome. You have no idea. I'm like, oh, okay. I know Dave's mom, you know, Mary, uh, why is she awesome? And so my kids said, because they's mom, she speaks English, like real English, <laughs> not the kind of English that you speak. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so funny. Because I have this accent, right? <laughs> and my kids noticed, they were very little, but they noticed that I speak with an accent, right? And so they said, and also, they's mom would like, uh, they eat sandwiches for lunch
0: that's so cool
1: (laughs) at home we eat like chicken feet (laughs) we eat pig intestine (laughs) We, we eat you know all these weird um chinese food and but my kids were like oh but they have they have wonder bread (laughs) <laughs> sandwiches and they had like Capri Sun. <laughs> and they're so cool. I love going to Dave's house. And so I was like, okay, that's funny. And you know, <laughs> whatever. And then my kids started kindergarten, right? So I went to kindergarten and I would go and volunteer in their class. And one day my oldest, he told me, mom, uh, next time you come to volunteer in my class, can you tell my teacher that you would just Cut papers and you will make copies and you will reorganize the classroom library and you don't tell, tell my teacher that you don't want to take any of my friends out to the hall to teach them how to read. And I thought, what's wrong with me taking your friends out to the hall to teach them how to read? I can do it. He said, No, don't do it because my friends say you, you talk funny. And and I don't I don't want them to hear you talk. So, so come to my class to volunteer but just cut papers and just you know color and you know make copies do that kind of quiet job and that's when i realized oh my kids were somewhat embarrassed by how different i am see they noticed the differences in me and they're they're embarrassed because they're an extension of me and so if i have some embarrassing qualities then that kind of reflect on them and they don't want their friends to look down on them maybe you know and so they try to separate me from the presence of their friends so that they won't be embarrassed so then it got me thinking i thought well here's the thing i can never change the fact that i am chinese and the fact that i will have this accent i can try very very hard but i will never be able to speak Like a native, like you, Bobby, you know? And, but if my children cannot accept that, then they will have a hard time accepting who they are because 50% of them is me. So if they cannot accept me as a Chinese person speaking English with a Chinese accent, then how are they going to accept the 100% of themselves? They cannot embrace the entirety of themselves because they will always have that resentment or embarrassment of, oh, my mom is Chinese and she, you know, this and this and this and this that make them always look down at the floor that they cannot lift the head up high and say, I am who I am because I have a Chinese mother, right? So then I thought, I will have to help my children learn about where I come from, learn about my Chinese culture, because it's also their culture. And so I thought I will write a book to help them know about me, about my culture, about the journey I have taken to get to where I am today. And I'm still on this journey. I'm still trying. I'm still working very hard. To be the best i can be so they can be proud of me and in turn they can be proud of themselves and so that was originally the motivation to write this book it's like a legacy project yeah right but then i found out during my writing process it helped my sister's children too because my my sister who also lives in america she has children All of them were born here in in America. They never been back to Taiwan. They face the same challenge, and it's even more challenging for my sister because my sister doesn't speak English. Yeah. And so my sister is like, oh, I need that book. I need my children to read that book so they can understand this. And then I thought there are people who need this story. It's not just me or my children. It's other families. And so that's when I thought I I would like to seek publication of this book so that more people can learn about this, not like the situation with the story, but to be able to feel like, oh, they can relate. Oh, they can resonate with this. Oh, they understand. And people, I sometimes get feedback or uh, readers will contact me and said, I'm so glad you told my story. That's my story and it's not because these people are all from taiwan no it's because they also face the same challenge with like their children don't understand their ancestry or appreciate their heritage or they they learn that they can give themselves permission to do what works for them that kind of thing it's like all these messages from the book resonate with people and that makes me very happy you yes. know knowing that we're not alone we, we are all here, like this, in this life, really, in this life, we are walking each other home, right? We're walking with strangers, but they're not strangers. They're your brothers, they're your sisters, and we walk in each other home. And where is that home? It's the end of the life where people go. Next, after death, we don't know where that is, but we know there's a place where people go after death. But in this life, before we reach that home, we are here for one another. We're we're walking with these people. And I think through story, we made that connection, that emotional connection, and people need that because nobody should be alone.
0: So it's not just for um, Asian American children. It it could be applicable to any immigrant child or anybody that's different. If if I'm hearing you right, yes, or thinks they're different, because because really your kids aren't different. It's it sounds like it's just the environment that they're dropped in. They're just not seeing um, others. You know, like I can remember there was two black people in my grade school, and that was it. Yeah, and it wasn't until later in life that I'm like, oh my god. They must have been so scared and so yeah. uncomfortable. I mean, we're talking forty years ago. I just thought they were different. I didn't know the difference, right? Right. But they really weren't different. It was. It was just the town they were lived in. I move a town over, and then I'm one of two, or you know, like I'm the smaller population. Um, right. But to to think about as you were talking about your kids, like to feel not accepting of your whole self has to be pretty, I don't know, sad, like that. That's yeah. your ideals, even though nothing specific happened to create those ideals. So I yeah. love the context of the book. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. So where can people find it? We're, we're getting close on time. So where can people find your book? Um, And like you said, you have people reaching out. So I don't know if you have social or or how you like to put yourself out there.
1: Yeah, so my book is available wherever books are sold. So if you go to Amazon, if you go to Barnes & Noble, if you go to bookshop.org, it's it's there everywhere, wherever you buy books. And I have a website. It's my name, com, And if you visit my website and there's a contact page, You can, if that's how you would like to contact me, you can contact me through um, my website, the contact form, or I'm also on social media and all the social media links are on my website too. You can find them. Perfect.
0: Well, Allison, I really appreciate you sharing your story. You have this amazing energy of just positivity. And I really am grateful that you joined us today. Oh my gosh, Bobby, I feel the same way about you. I love how you have that
1: energy, that love and kindness that y- you just share your light with the world so freely. I am so grateful that you share your light with me. Thank you, Thank you so much.